Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week, we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. Everybody, so glad to see you all here this morning on this beautiful weekend. It's good to know that you can come to church even on holidays. Amen. Hey, we've been uh, talking for several several weeks now. Uh, a little sermon series called Friends. Pastor Philip has come up with F R I E N D S. If you any of you here who uh, the first week did like he said and took out a sheet of paper and wrote down the side F R I E N D S. You can get those out now. Because we're moving right through that series, and today on E, we're going to be talking. So grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning, the chance to speak with all of you. And hopefully what I have to say is impactful to all of us. Uh, so Pastor Philip had this sermon set out, in the title of this sermon to be Equip and Empower. See, Jesus is our friend, and he equips and empowers us, and that's what he had designated for us to talk about today. But I didn't particularly care for his outline, <laughs> so I came up with my own. Is that okay with everybody? We're gonna, this morning, we're going to call it Equip, Empower, and Take One Up. And in just a little bit, we'll talk about what that Take One Up means. Our scripture is John 15. We've been reading it every week. Let's read it again. John 15, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. It's so awesome to be able to think about Jesus as a specifically our friend. And the way he equips us and empowers us. <clears throat> and that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning. Is Jesus, what he does for us, and then what we can in turn do for others through equipping and empowering. Uh, I've got one other section of scripture that I'd like to kind of base what we're talking about off today. Still in John, but we're going to go to chapter 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through verse 8. Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come in this house this morning, to open up your word, and to learn about you, and to get to know you better. Lord, I pray that, that this message would fall on hearts and ears that are open this morning, that we would all receive something from it. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being with us today, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You guys uh, like sports? Y'all sports people? 
okay, I can tell right away this analogy is not going to work because I said, I asked who likes sports, and I can tell by the, the raised hands. You guys thought I meant who likes to watch sports while sitting on your couch on the TV. Is that, is that right? No, no, no. I mean, who are, who are the athletes in this room? Who in this room likes to play organized sports or has experience? There, okay, yes, yes. See, we've got a few of those. Okay. I, uh, this is probably, probably going to shock most of you, but I don't, I don't do the sports thing. I never did, right? I never played any kind of organized sport at all growing up. My, my little guy, my son Davis, he's been playing baseball here lately, and he's on a team, and I love to go watch him, but I myself was never on a baseball team. I never, I mean, we played in the neighborhood, but I was never on a team. I never had a jersey with the name of a local business on the back. I never played organized sports. Well, if you, if you heard me speak before, you've probably heard me mention uh, that I grew up in a program called Royal Rangers. And if you're not familiar with that, basically it's just like the Boy Scouts, but specific to the Assemblies of God denomination of churches. They, their brand of Boy Scouts was called Royal Rangers. It was all about outdoors and camping. That was kind of, that was kind of my thing. But each, each year in Royal Rangers annually, they had the uh, track and field day. This was on a Saturday, and all the churches from the local district would meet at a high school. And we would do a track and field competition all day on a Saturday. I'm talking about 100-yard dash and the long jump and the, um, the big heavy ball that you try to throw as far as you can. I said I don't do sports. All those kind of events. And I went, year after year went, and, and never once did I come in first place. Not at any event, not at any time. I did, I did get a third-place ribbon one time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was for the relay race, and let me tell you, I am the sole reason that my team got third place in the relay race. See, they had me in the third leg, and as the race started, uh, our guy who was in the first leg, he came out strong and had a good, clean lead on the other teams, and by the time our second leg had the baton and running, they were, we were far and away ahead. And the second baton, he ran hard and fast as well, and so by the time he got to me, Really, all I would have had to do was just take the baton and walk fast, and we would have been in this thing. But instead, I fumbled the baton. And by the time I got it myself together and got moving quick enough, I got the baton to our fourth and final runner last. All other teams had their fourth man with the baton running for the finish line before I gave it to him. He worked hard, and he got us a third place out of the deal. But uh, that was all, <laughs> all because of me. So... It makes me think about this, this guy that we read about the pool because he never came in first. I mean, he said in the, in the story there to Jesus that the, the water stirs and I can't get in. Somebody else gets there first. This, this pool, the pool of Bethesda, was a, was a place where an, a pool of water, an angel would come and stir the water. And when the water was stirred, the first person to get into the pool would be healed of whatever, whatever they needed to be healed from. And it doesn't say how often the pool was stirred. I don't know if this happened every hour or every day or once a week or once a year. I don't know. All I know is that for 38 years, this man had been trying to win the race to the pool. And for 38 years, he'd been losing that race. Now think about that. We hear about in, in our Bible all the time about maybe blind people or crippled people who would sit out by the city gate and beg for money to be able to survive. But that... That guy, that, that crippled guy sitting at the gate begging for money, he has reserved that this is his life. He's got no shot at a healing, so he'll be a cripple at a gate. But our man in our story here, he's, he's right by the miracle. He's right there, 
and he's been trying and trying to get into the pool to win just one time to win and he'll have his miracle how difficult that must be emotionally to know your miracle is right there if i can just get to it but he came in last he came in last i remember that track and field day one one specific year i'd been losing all day i mean left and right every event bottom of the barrel i was <laughs> pathetic and it came down to the last event of the day and the last heat of the day and it was the the quarter mile race just one lap around the track and this was the last heat of that race and i was the only guy from my church that was in this particular group that was racing all my buddies were near the finish line near the last quarter of the, the race to, to cheer me on and so as we were kind of gathered, those of us that were going to race this last heat, gathered around waiting for the, the ref to get us lined up and, and shoot the gun. One boy who was just a little bit older, we were all in the same age group, but he was a little bit older than the rest of us. He, he kind of said, hey, hey guys, huddle up, huddle up. And we all kind of gathered around. And he said, you know, guys, we've all, we've all been giving it our all out here today. We've, we've all been working really hard. And I just want you all to know that in, in an event like this, there's, there's no losers. I remember thinking, wow, man. Like, this is, what, this is what Royal Rangers, this is what they train young men to do, to be leaders, to step up, to, to bring those that are younger than them up with them. I thought, man, this guy is a junior commander in the making. This is, this is exactly what, what he's supposed to be doing. He said, look, I know that not everybody in this group has had a chance to get a first place ribbon today. And we're all tired. So here's what I'm suggesting. How about we all cross that finish line together today? Well, I thought, well, yeah, that's, that would be that blue ribbon. I would be the one that hasn't gotten one all day. Yeah, that would be me. And yes, yes, I would love to get that blue ribbon. So we all, okay, this is, this is what Roar Rangers is all about, man. Last race of the day, the last event of the day, and we're all going to cross the finish line together, shoulder to shoulder. Man, that's what it's all about. So we did. We lined up, gun fired, and we took off, and we kept pace with each other. And we, we kept a good pace, but nobody fell behind. And shoulder to shoulder, we made all the way around the first turn, the second turn, the long shot, the third turn. And as you're coming into that fourth turn, all my buddies from church that knew how to do races, because I don't know how to, I don't know the strategy to running a race, they began to, to, to yell at me and encourage me, okay, now, Zach, now, break out, now's the time, now's the time. Because they knew that in a race, you've got to pace yourself and save your energy for that last sprint at the end. I didn't understand that concept. Uh, if, if it weren't for this guy stepping up and suggesting that we all stay together, I would have I just run as hard and fast as I could and probably passed out halfway through the race. I began yelling at me, Zach, now, now. And I can still see my friend's face. His name is Vincent. I can right now see his face, just the urgency, because he was really into sports, really into sports. It reminds me a lot of my nephew, Cole, how, how he just, he's so into it. And when it, it's, they need, the teammate needs to pass the ball to him, the look on his face like, no, pass it to me, pass it to me. That urgency, there's nothing he can do about it. He knows what needs to happen. There's nothing he can do but encourage his, his teammate. And that's what, that's what my buddies were doing. They were saying, now's the time, Zach, you've got to go. And we're just all running shoulder to shoulder. And I look over at my group of buddies, and I kind of give them the, the wink, you know, because I know they don't know what's about to happen. I know what's going on here. They're about to see what, what, what us rural rangers are all about, what we're doing. So I look at my guys, like, I give them the wink and the nod, like, you'll see. And then I look over at our junior commander, our leader, who had encouraged us to, to do this together, to, to, to give him like a nod, like we're in this together, man. I look over, and he was gone, man. He was four steps ahead of us. 
He set us up. He set us up. Yeah. And I came in last place. So I know how this guy feels. 38 years, last place. 38 years, never winning, winning the race. And you've got to wonder what it must have been like that day when Jesus came and started talking to him. So we, I have no reason to assume that this guy even knew who Jesus was, even had heard of Jesus, but even if he had, no reason to assume that he knew what Jesus looked like. He'd been st- the whole time that Jesus has been in ministry, this guy's been hanging out by this pool. I don't think he was worried about what was going on with Jesus' ministry. I think he was worried about that pool. So when Jesus came to him and said, do you want to be healed? It wasn't like some of the other miracles we read about. Instead, it was just like a random guy walking up to him and asking him a question. Now think about that for a second. You're in a place, here's this pool, the miracle in the pool. All these sick people are gathered around, people that can't walk, people that can't see. They're gathered around and they're waiting. And as soon as the pool, as soon as the pool jumps, they're trying to get, somebody's trying to get in there first because that's a place to be healed. And so you're there, you've been there for 38 years, you're trying to win the race, you're always losing the race, and a stranger just walks up to you and says, hey man, are you here to get healed? Right? Like, think about that. I'm sure that that the conversation he had with Jesus was at first to him an inconvenience. Because I'm sure as Jesus was talking, he was like one eye on Jesus, one eye on the pool. Like, yeah, yes, yes, I'm here, but no, I don't want to miss my miracle though. I understand you got something you want to say to me, but I don't want to miss my miracle. And how many times have we done that? How many times have we missed the man because we're looking for the miracle? How many times have we said, no, no, God, this is the miracle I need. This is the way I need it to happen instead of looking at the source. This man was looking at a pool that possessed a power, but he did not realize the source of that power was right there speaking with him. Don't miss the man when you're looking for a miracle. What kind of man is Jesus? Look at this. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the empowering of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. That's our sermon outline right there, equipped and empowered. It's all right there. But, you know, there's, there's one other thing in this, and, and this, is not, this is not on the subject that we're talking about today. This is just something that I discovered as I was studying this week, um, and I just, I just can't help, I've got to share this with you. So, so this is not, not our sermon, but do you know how Jesus was raised from the dead? Like, do you know what power raised him from the dead? I never knew this until this week, as I was studying this portion of Scripture, I never understood this. It was his blood. His own blood was the power for his own resurrection. Think about that for a minute. The God of all eternity was raised to life by that blood, that same blood that you have access to. What sickness? What situation? What circumstance? That blood has the power to raise our God to life. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? Also, to me, it's kind of fun to think about uh, the board meeting in hell on the Monday after Jesus' resurrection. I mean, can't you just see, like, the devil just yelling and screaming and, and like, axing demons left and right and demanding answers and da-da-da-da? And he's all mad because Jesus came back to life and, and secured salvation for everybody. And, and, 
And, and, and then he asks, well, how, what, how did he even, what was the power that he was raised to life from? And one of the little demons has to be like, uh, it was actually his own blood that we spilled on the cross, sir. <laughs> I don't know. Funny like that. Okay, but back to our message. Jesus, the man, it's right here in Hebrews chapter 13. He equips and empowers. And we see that all throughout Jesus' life. Uh, the, the, the record of the Gospels where he's with his disciples, and he's constantly equipping, 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 teaching, and then empowering them. Okay, you two go. You two go. He equips. He teaches. He pulls them aside. Hey, guys, you know that story I just told that nobody understood? Here's why I told that story. Here's what it means. Equipping, building, teaching, equipping. Now go. Now go. Now go. Empowering. And eventually, he did the same for all of us by equipping and empowering us with the Holy Spirit. He sends that comforter to us to give us the words to say when we don't know what to say and the boldness to speak them. Jesus equips and empowers us. But the equipping is the learning and the empowering is the passing it down. Guys, we've got something unusual in our church. Right now, us, our family, Family Worship Center, we're unusual. Because what's happening is we're seeing equipping and empowering. And we're seeing hands being laid on other hands. And if you were here for Pastor Philip's sermon, Arrows, where he asked the question, whose hand is your hand on? You'll know what I'm talking about. Each of us in this room has an area in our lives where we have somebody in this room that knows is less mature, in that specific area is less mature than us and more mature than us. So we should be seeking out those that are less mature in that specific area and putting our hand on their hand and guiding them. But at the same time, in that same specific area, we should be seeking counsel for someone who is more mature so that we can get their hand on us and we can continue to move up. That was 2 Kings 13, where Pastor Philip talked about that. Do you all remember that sermon? Where Elisha the prophet was going to die soon and the king Jehoash came to him for a blessing. Remember, he, Elisha told him to open the window and, and shoot the arrow, and he, he had the bow and arrow, and then Elisha put his hands around and on King Jehoash's hands, and they fired the arrow together. You know, Elisha told him, that represents your enemies. That represents the defeat of your enemy. And then he said, take the rest of the arrows and strike the ground. And you'll remember from that sermon that he took the arrows and he struck the ground three times, and Elisha became angry with him. Here's something you need to know about this situation. King Jehoash was not a good guy. He didn't fear the Lord. He didn't love the Lord. It's so interesting to me that he lived in a time where prophets like Elijah and Elisha were doing great miracles. Elisha's mentor, Elijah, literally ascended into heaven on a chariot of fire. God's big and visible and real and there's no denying it and he's the king of God's kingdom Israel but he doesn't respect God he doesn't love God he doesn't fear God so in this text we see that when Elijah is getting old he says to himself King Jehoash I better go get my blessing before the old man dies and it's, it's in the text when he goes to Elijah he starts in with this oh my father my father Oh, Elijah, you can't die. And Elijah just says, get a bow and arrows. He just cold, 
cut straight to it. Elisha knew what this guy was about. He wasn't there for equipping. He was just there for empowering. He just wanted that blessing. He wanted to push the right buttons. He just wanted to go through the motions to get the blessing. So when it came time to strike the ground, he struck the ground three times because he didn't have ownership of his commission to lead God's kingdom. Elisha gets mad at him and says, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Because of this, you will only defeat your enemy three times and you won't be able to wipe them out. You could have ended this war by taking ownership, but instead you're just here to go through the motions. That's our Christian faith. That's our personal walk with Jesus. We gotta take ownership of our personal walk with Jesus. It's not about just going through the motions. I mean, if, if, if somebody came to me, Pastor Zach, I'm just, my, my, my faith walk is just, I just really, I need help with my walk in faith. And I'd say, okay, yeah, well, sure, I'd love to help you. Let's, let's talk about your Bible reading. What are you doing? Are you doing like three chapters in the old, two in the new? And are you using the Bible app or how are you tracking that? Because we've got to get through this thing in a year. And while we're on it, what is your prayer life like? Is it 20 minutes or 30 minutes every day? And are you actually timing the prayers? And let's talk about the music you listen to because I see that you don't have all three of the Hillsong bands in your music collection. No. No. Everything that I just talked about is so important. Time and prayer, that's our lifeblood. Time in the Word, that's our bread. We need that. Quiet time, worship time, singing to Jesus. It's so important to our faith. But it has to be ours. We got to own it. We don't need a schedule to tell us how long to read and how long to pray. We've got to take ownership so that when we get in there, we don't even want a timer because it's going to be so long we don't even care. We get in that word and get lost like we're watching a movie and just almost to the point where you feel like, ah, I'm wasting time. You're not wasting time. You're reading the Bible, obviously. We got to take ownership. Jehoash didn't take ownership. He knew God was real, but he didn't fear God. He just wanted to check off the boxes. He wanted to be empowered, but he wasn't willing to be equipped. You know, uh, I think about a time in my life where I was empowered, but definitely not equipped. <laughs> like I told you before, uh, Roll Rangers was all about the, the camping and the outdoors, and I was really into that. And um, I remember when I was about 14 or 15 years old, me and my best bud, my best friend, we decided that together we were going to earn the survival badge. <clears throat> now, uh, Earning the survival badge is really, honestly, one of the easiest, fastest badges to earn because it's real simple. Here's what you do. You spend one night, the whole night, out in the woods without taking a tent. That's it. That's all you got to do. You survive. Boom. You get the badge. So we picked, we picked a, a Friday night in February when it was cold and raining, obviously. Uh, I know it was in February, and I'll tell you why in a minute. We picked a Friday night. We were going to do it at my house because my, my house, my, my backyard backs right into woods. Uh, property owned by Temple Inland, they harvest lumber, they grow pine trees for, for lumber. And so there's, these are the woods that I grew up in. I know them like the back of my hand. It's easy peasy. It's a perfect place. And we're going to do it at my house. That way my parents there could, could vouch. Yes, they went into the woods before the sun went down on Friday, and they didn't come back until Saturday morning. Bada boom, bada bing, we got a badge. And a couple of years before this had happened, before we planned this trip, the, uh, the, the woods behind our house got infested with pine beetles. Now, pine beetles go in, and they eat from underneath the bark. They peel, they destroy, they ruin all the bark. The bark falls off the tree. They destroy the tree, 
and they work their way to the top, and when they get to the top, they just jump off in the wind and catch another tree and get to chewing. And it devastated this, this crop. And pretty much the only thing you can do about pine beetles is to go in and cut down all the trees so that when they get to the end of the tree, they have nowhere to jump to. So that's what Temple Inland did. They, they came in and they cut down all these bald, barkless pine trees. They didn't harvest them. The wood was ruined. So there's these trees, bald, slick pine trees, just all laid, all skewed, crisscross everywhere in the woods right behind my house. So this cold, rainy Friday night in February, we head out. And the first obstacle is to get past all these wet, slick pine trees. And so we're slipping and falling. And within just a few minutes, both our feet were soaked too. And, and then a few minutes more, our legs were getting in. And we were starting to rain. And now I know what you're, I know what you're thinking. Right now you're thinking, uh, Zach, you've already told this story in church. I know that a person should only have one lost in the woods, soaking wet, cold and rainy in the middle of February in southeast Texas story. But I have several, and this is another one of them. So we finally make our way to the area that I had predetermined would be the best place for us to survive. The reason I determined it to be the best place is because it was far enough from the house that it, this was legit, but there was a trail, a very clean-cut trail. And if we got to that trail, that trail went straight out of the woods to the street, and then we could walk up the street a couple blocks back home. So if any reason, if anything went south, it was easy to get out. So we finally made it to that trail. It's been raining. It's starting to get dark. We are soaked through to the core, and it's freezing cold. Well, we begin to build our shelter. We set up sticks, lean-to style, and there, in these woods out here, there are all these plants. I believe they're called palmettos. That's what we always call them, but they're big like palm leaf plants that just grow a couple feet off the ground. And we begin to break those loose and get ones that are already fallen, and, pull, and we've made like a thatch roof with all these palm. And now we went to some of the larger pine trees, and you know how the needles will fall at the base of the tree kind of build up higher on the ground from there. So we, we gathered those because they were a little bit drier. And we built our lean-to, and we built a pad of pine needles on the inside of it that was built up to keep us dry and fairly comfortable. Now we've got a shelter from the rain and a shelter from the wind. And we get in it, and it's dark, and we're cold. Like, I remember, it was very cold. And we, you know, toughed it out and toughed it out, but eventually my buddy, he began shaking uncontrollably. Couldn't stop. So we knew, I, I knew for sure, like this is fixing to be hypothermia. This is fixing to get serious. I think we need to pull the plug on this thing. So we did. Fortunately, like I told you, we were on that trail, so we just had to walk down the trail in the dark, just stay on the trail until we got to the street, and then walk up the street to my parents' house. We got home. It was like 7.30, and my mom had made a big old pot of chili, like she knew. And my dad had the fireplace going. And we got inside. We got in our dry, dry clothes. Got a bowl of chili. Sat down by the fire. And for the rest of the evening, we watched Olympic couples figure skating. That's how I know it was in February. Yeah, yeah. We went from the manliest, I'm going to survive in the woods, to... Oh, their their skating is excellent this year. <laughs> I don't know. See, I, so so 
So the next week at the, at the Royal Rangers meeting, the commander, he asks me, so you did the survival, how'd it go? You know, do I need to get you that badge? No, I said, no, we didn't, we didn't do it, we didn't do it. We, um, what happened? I was like, well, we got out there and did shelter and all that kind of stuff, but it was, we were already too wet and it was, it was too cold, and so we didn't. So well, did your matches get wet? I mean, why didn't you build a fire? No, we, we, didn't, we didn't bring any matches. It's like, well, did you use a tarp to build your shelter with so that it would be 100% dry? A tarp? Not a freaking tarp. It's survival, man. We didn't, we didn't bring water or a flashlight or nothing. He's like, Zach, it clearly states spend one entire night in the woods without the aid of a tent. Building a shelter is encouraged. You didn't have to. You could have taken. Yeah. So I wasn't equipped in that situation. Back to our guy at the pool. You know, Jesus came into that situation and Jesus equipped him and empowered him. He came up to the man and he said, Do you want to be healed? That's the equipping. Jesus will heal his physical body. That's the equipping. But the man had been for so long thinking about how he always comes in last and he can't get his miracle. I always come in last, I can't get a miracle. That Jesus also had to empower him. Like, Jesus had to give the dude a little faith in this moment. He said, do you want to be healed? Get up. He'd already healed him at this point. And go, walk. I empower you. But he says something else in there. He told him to take up his bed. Now, if I was this guy, I probably would have been like, "Ah, Jesus, I don't know, man. This bed is, well, first of all, it's nasty. But it it represents all the losing, all the years of suffering. This bed represents all my past, all my pain, all the the doubts. All the times I lost the race and lost the race and lost the race. I don't want to take this bed with me. I want to burn this bed. But Jesus told him, no, you take it when you go. Because Jesus knew that a, a man walking normally down the street doesn't really attract any attention. But a man carrying his bed down the road has got a story to tell. And that's some of us. We've got stories to tell, and we need to be telling them. How many of you do not know the story about the time that doctors wanted to cut my father-in-law's tongue out because he had a tumor in it? And they got him on the operating table, and they got his mouth open, and that tumor was gone. If you haven't heard that story, you need to find him and you need to ask him. Let him tell that story. We've got story after story after story to tell. And we need to start telling them. We need to use these stories to equip those that are coming up. We need to use these stories to empower those that need the empowering. And it doesn't have to be I was saved from being a drug dealer or I was healed from cancer. Y'all, I got saved at five years old on the first day of children's church. I walked down the aisle and I gave my life to the Lord right then and there. Now, he's had to pull me back in line plenty of times, but he's been with me the whole time. He's not failed me one time. He has never let me down yet. And that's a story to tell. We've got stories. We need to equip with these stories. We need to take ownership of our faith, and then we need to empower others to take ownership of their faith. We need to take that mat up. And use that story to spread this message, this gospel, this good news. One other thing I need to say. I uh, accidentally preached this sermon out of order. 
I mean, not, not accidentally. Like, I, I had the order, equip, empower, and take one up. We've got to equip. We've got to be equipped. We've got to empower. We've got to be empowered. And we've got to take one. We've got to take our story. We've got to take our mat up and go. But as I was reviewing, just, just a couple nights ago, as I was reviewing the scripture, just putting the final touches on this message, I realized that, that I've got it all wrong. I've got it out of order. Jesus, he, he, he out, laid the outline right here uh, in John 5, chapter 8. Jesus told him, stand up, equip. Take up your mat and walk in power. Equip, take up, empower. When Jesus told that man to stand up, he had equipped him. His body was already healed. And when he told him to walk, he was empowering him and giving him the faith to go. But in between the healing and the faith to go, he said, take up your story. Equip, take one up, and go. And that's the message that we need to leave with today. We've got to begin to latch on to our personal Christian faith and take that ownership. First things first, we've got to own our faith. Jesus will equip us so that we can equip others. Jesus will empower us so that we can empower others. We've got to put our hand on someone else's hand and ask someone else to put their hand on ours. We've got to take our stories and take them to a world that desperately needs them.